NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Why? Now streaming. Dad! He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Vacation Friends 2, rated R, now streaming only on Hulu. Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber, and each episode we'll be taking a look at a great story or issue in the cricket world. This show, I have Paul Radley to talk about match-fixing pandemic that hit UAE cricket. My day job, so sports reporter at The National here, which is an Abu Dhabi-based newspaper but covers all of UAE, would be my job, but I would mainly be focused on cricket, really. So, um, obviously, main thing being covering the UAE national team. Late last year, I was lucky enough to be the analyst for the Scottish men's team as they qualified for the World T20. And as you'll hear on this episode, we played the UAE in a warm-up match. When I turned up with all my systems, with my video and stats database, they were using players that uh, weren't on any of them. So I had to insert random players to code the game. It was like the heart of UAE cricket had been ripped out and instead they just had to find strangers off the street to fill some spots. Yet they kept fighting and they gave themselves two chances to qualify for a World Cup, even as one of their players went completely missing and five of the original squad disappeared. It was an incredible story. So I've got Paul, who covers the UAE team in his job as the cricket writer for the National, to explain more. And so the UAE team is famous in cricket for Sultan Zarawani <laughs> coming out to face Alan Donald with a floppy hat on and Alan Donald being sort of bullied by the other South Africans into bouncing Sultan Zarawani, uh, hitting Sultan Zarawani in the head and then sending him to hospital. And then the next sort of big moment for UAE cricket, I suppose, was making the 2015 World Cup. And since then, they've been sort of improving as a T20 side. They were probably a favourite to qualify for the World T20s, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think they went into a tournament as a top-ranked team, maybe second. You, you probably got a better idea than me. I think they might have been second behind Scotland, actually, looking back. They were behind Scotland. Yeah, yes, they were. That's very well remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the time, it seemed like it was, what was it, six teams to go through from the competition? And it felt like it would be a cakewalk for a few teams, like Scotland, obviously, in particular, but even UAE, home conditions, highly ranked, good team. But then just on the eve of it, it all fell completely to pieces. And in the end, they did well to get close to qualifying but uh it wasn't to be 
So take me through it. When is the first time you get a feeling that something's up? Like I said before, I get up to a lot of the UAE stuff, even their practice matches. And I went along to, they had a warm-up match against Namibia, that's just like their last friendly match before they play the two official warm-up matches. And that was up at the uh, Dubai uh, Academy, the ICC Academy there, uh, where I saw you a couple of days later, actually. And they had this game and they didn't do very well at all. And midway through the second inning, so Naveed and Kadir weren't playing in the game and Shy Man Anwar was playing in the game. Just a real low-key warm-up match. And Kadir was there carrying drinks and Naveed had been elsewhere in Sports City that day. He came along and, and absentmindedly noticed that they were doing a walk around the ground just towards the sort of last rites of the, of the match. Um, those two sort of carrying drinks, basically. And at one point, I noticed another UAE player look across to the players' match officials area and I noticed some, well, as we know now, the ICC anti-corruption unit staff had come into the area there. And one of the UAE players quickly got Naveed's attention and Kadir's attention, which was seemed a bit strange I didn't quite know what was going on but I sort of got, just got a feeling at that point that something was a bit untoward and then after the reason I'd gone up there was I just wanted to get some preview stuff for the qualifier off Dougie Brown and I spoke to him after and he says Paul I can't really talk you know something's happened I was like oh that's a bit unusual he's basically just wouldn't be drawn on it at all which is very unlike Dougie he's quite an open book really mm. and so it was pretty clear at that point something was up and because I'd seen who I'd seen go into the as much official area, realised that, you know, I sort of needed to get cracking on trying to stand up a story that I thought was was happening, but it was, it was quite difficult to get at. Did you have any inkling before that there was anything going on? I mean, I'd heard rumours about Mohammed Naveed before, yeah. but to be fair, I've heard rumours about almost every player in cricket at one stage or another. So when you hear those rumours, sometimes you're like, okay, well, I'll wait you know, six months and see if anything further comes from it. And quite often they don't. But inside uh, UAE cricket, have you heard rumours? No, I must say I hadn't heard rumours within UAE cricket, actually, no. But I hadn't ever wanted to because Naveed's got an absolutely brilliant story up until that point he did anyway of coming from nothing, making it to international cricket from just a street cricketer, really. And I hadn't perhaps accepted that what I had seen had given me suspicions, but basically I remember seeing him, he played in the Afghanistan Premier League and it was just the standard sort of thing that you see, the, he's been bowling well, bowling tight, not bowling any, no balls, and then suddenly overstepped by a long way. And that just made me think, well, that's a bit unusual. You know, is there something in that? And then obviously last year they had the Jazeera documentary, which mentioned mm. the UAE team as well. And they were extremely defensive about, about that at the time. But I don't think literally within the team itself, and I've obviously spoken to a number of people within the team and within cricket, and they honestly, some who were involved in the same team didn't have a clue themselves that anything like this was going on. And that's not them pleading ignorance to, to try and save their own skin. That's literally, they didn't know. So it's so difficult. Like, like you just mentioned, you do hear things and see things, but it's so difficult to sort of, work out what is fact and what is just you seeing things, basically. At that point, so you lost three of the 15 World Cup players. Yeah. What happens next? What is in UAE cricket? Is it just, um, you know, pandemonium? It was, yeah, yeah. Basically, well, it's strange, really, because those three guys, really reliable, reliable in a manner of speaking, <laughs> reliable on the field sort of players, top-ranked batsmen, 
top-ranked bowler and, and in Kadir, he's, he's a pretty good backup seamer as well. In terms of them finding new players, they just sort of managed to find them somehow here and that's without a particularly good formal competitive structure over here. There's so many players washing around the system that even though you're replacing senior, high-ranking, established players, they still sort of felt like they had a chance, even though it, it was pandemonium, definitely, <laughs> within the team. It was, a, it was a horrible time, really, for them. And what did you think at that stage that the uh, World Cup qualifying chances were gone? No, I wouldn't have said so, because, um, like I just said, you, you always think they've, they've got a chance. I think the um, issue was perhaps the fact that this was such a big, thing for cricket here the fact that the three senior players had been charged it's not like they were stood down and nothing had come out and and some people were aware of it being an investigation and others weren't they'd been named on the eve of the tournament as three players have been charged with this massive issue and obviously that mud that sticks to the whole game here so everybody was on a downer mentally so it's not just the fact that they've taken three talented cricketers out it was the whole atmosphere around it so that I think was probably what told more than anything because they had certainly had a talented enough side to to make it through and get one of those top six spots but because everything kept going wrong and they lost two more players within the course of the tournament within the first few days because they were just being beaten and beaten and beaten by that they just couldn't really recover they beat Scotland in that warm-up game. I, yeah. I don't like mentioning it, uh, but it did, it did happen. And, and they didn't just beat us by a little bit. They absolutely annihilated Scotland in that game. It was a very weird time for us. We were being beaten by players that uh, previously didn't exist as far as we were concerned. Yeah. Um, so it was it, made your job difficult, didn't it? The longer the tournament went on, the sort of harder it was for me to find these players. I remember having to come up to you and going, can you give me any idea <laughs> what these players do? Yeah. You know, it, I wasn't much like, help. <laughs> No, you you gave me the correct spelling, I think, at times, which was, if nothing else, was quite handy. But when I was doing the research for Singapore, you know, I spent a lot of my time just on YouTube looking at video of these guys, and there wasn't a lot of stuff on Singapore. And suddenly the UAE guys came from absolutely nowhere. So take me through the second wave when we lost a cricketer completely from the entire country. Yeah, so first of all, Ashfaq Ahmed went. He was the opening batsman. And he, since he debuted within like 18 months before that tournament, he was an outstanding player for the UAE team, a real good find. Top of the order, he scored loads of runs. And within two games of the World Cup qualifier starting, he was gone, suspended not by the ICC, but by the Emirates Cricket Board because he was part of the wider ICC investigation. So that was uh, second day in. And then literally we went along to a game, I can't remember exactly which fixture it was, but I made a facetious comment on Twitter saying, comparing it to Big Brother and saying who was going to leave the house today. And literally it did happen that that evening it was announced, or that afternoon, sorry, it was announced that Ghulam Shabir had basically absconded from duty, left the country and, and flown back to Pakistan. I managed to get hold of him a, a few days later through various means. It was quite difficult to track down. And he said at that point that he wasn't part of the ICC's anti-corruption investigation. But if he was con- contacted about it, he would obviously comply with it. But yeah, that was the most spectacular moment in the whole situation, really. You've said exactly as that happened, but that's not how it felt at the time, was it? There was that thing of, we don't know where this person is. Yeah. And I think there might have even been a, was there not a press release where the UAE cricket board said, we can't find him? So Pete Kelly, after one day's play, so sorry, Pete Kelly is the, 
think his official role is high performance manager of UA cricket, but basically he serves as a team manager, but he has done for quite a while. So he was tasked with telling us there was only me and a journalist from College Times there. He told us after one day's play, it wasn't an official announcement as such, but he was briefing us basically that this is what happened. And yeah, like you said, they didn't know. They didn't know where he was. Basically, he had said to one, to his roommate, yeah, yeah, see you in a bit. And nobody had seen him again since then. And that obviously that is a bit of a concern that he, <laughs> they, they, were, they were saying that they tried to get in touch with his next of kin and actually even tried some of the local hospitals to see if anything uh, particularly untoward had happened. And then it subsequently came out that he had, uh, you know, was located back at home, basically in Pakistan. I mean, just the fact that you're in the middle of a tournament, you're the high performance manager or the team manager, and you're having to contact local hospitals and next of kin. What a remarkable time this was. And then to make it all weirder, they actually played some really good cricket through that period. I know maybe looking back at it, we realize now that that was the much weaker group. You may be island aside, but even so, that they were playing good cricket in, in their group, weren't they? They were playing uh, inconsistently good cricket, yeah. That's, so basically, some people, yeah. Yeah, people, <laughs> that's fair. They, they were lucky in that they were finding somebody each day was rising above it just enough to drag the team through. And I remember in particular the sort of seminal innings that got them through the group stage and kept their hopes alive of going to the World Cup. Mohamed Usman got, I think it was 90 not out against Canada, in a game on the big field there, the Zayed Cricket Stadium in uh, Abu Dhabi. It's a massive field and he ran a load of twos in it, like he wasn't hitting many sixes or fours. And that's a guy, he's, he's been a real background guy, especially like he, nobody would mention him in the same breath as Shyman in terms of talent. But he's a guy who really found his best sort of innings when UAE's cricket was basically at its nadir. And he dragged them through and that was fantastic to see, really. And it, and it showed that guys that were pulling in the right direction really, really felt it and really wanted to do it for the team. So then they make it to the, uh, all of us had a different name for the finals in the end, but the weird bracket at the end of the tournament yeah. uh, where random teams were playing and they had to play two games back to back and they had two chances to qualify for the, for the World Cup. So the first one was to beat the Netherlands. Yeah. And now after losing 33% of their squad <laughs> during the tournament, they have to face probably the fastest bowling attack in associate cricket history, really, in the Dutch. And they're on their home pitch and they turn up uh, to Dubai and they get the fastest pitch I've ever seen in Dubai. Totally right. And the UAE captain who was rapidly installed because Naveed should have been the captain for the tournament. But Ahmed Raza, born, raised here, grew up, knows everything about every pitch in this country. So when he won that toss, he'd have been absolutely certain as, as to what he'd have done. And like you said, it went just went through and, and the, the quick, obviously they, they knew what they were getting in terms of the Netherlands bowling attack, but the pitch was like something they'd never seen before. And Ahmed Raza was totally shocked by this afterwards. And they got a pretty tried and tested Formula. The reason the, the game you just mentioned, the the pre-tournament warm-up match against Scotland that UAE won comfortably, win the toss back first and then rely on their spinners to um, to do the job. It's quite a tried and tested formula for the UAE team, so you can understand why they'd have done that, and they would never have expected the pitch to do like that. So within everything else they were facing, they were also shell shocked by the fact they'd been hit by that unusual occurrence of that pitch too. So everything was conspiring against them. Yeah, how many wickets did they lose in the power play? Was it four or five in the end? Yeah, they were virtually nothing for four. It might have been five. It might even have been more than that, actually. I can't remember. Yeah, it might have been six. Yeah. So I came over, I think we must have had a training session with Scotland. 
And I got a lift over with Richard Tone and sort of, uh, if you remember, shuttled up next to you guys in the press so I could watch it while I was cutting some other footage. And I didn't get to see anything. Yeah. I, I didn't get to see any batting because there was no batting. They were just all out. Yeah, another thing that didn't help you much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then the next game is obviously against Scotland. You know, we won't dwell on that too much. It was the game that Scotland went through to the World Cup. But by that stage... That was when they just looked like a broken team to me. Yeah, they did, didn't they? It was visible that they were broken. And afterwards, you felt harsh even asking them questions afterwards because they were just exactly like you just said, broken basically by the whole situation. And so Scotland, I think that was probably the time, to be fair, where Scotland was also playing their best cricket. But they didn't start brilliantly, Scotland. Um, They were a little bit slow at times, but they put together such a big score that it, it almost felt ridiculous to play the second innings because the UA wouldn't get there. But the fact that they got to within two knockout games of the World Cup it has to show that there is something about this group of cricketers. Yeah, definitely. In terms of raw talent, they were reliant on that a lot of the time to get through, but also um, they must have had a bit of spirit about them. It's interesting that the t- like the people that they brought in, young Vritti Aravind and... Uh, a couple of others, Wahid Ahmed was one of the late replacements and Junaid Sadiq. They're guys that they've sort of built the resurgence on since that they've had and, and made a bit of a comeback and, and they're sort of a team to believe in again. It's those guys who are pretty plucky in what they did and no fault of theirs that they didn't make it through. It was, a, it was just a situation, really. The other person I want to talk about is Dougie Brown. Yeah. So Dougie Brown, obviously Scottish uh, cricketer, played a lot of county cricket, a little bit of international cricket as well, quite well-respected got a lot of friends in common. I don't know him personally, but everyone seems to like him. And he was just broken during the tournament, trying to keep the team up. But in two different ways, he knew that if they didn't qualify, he was going to lose his job. And yet he was someone who was coaching a team where five of the blokes weren't there. Dougie was at turns, he was heartbroken by other times. Well, in actual fact, probably fair to say the overriding feeling for most of the time was anger for him I'd say definitely yeah. I remember at one point discussing one of the players in, in specific with him and this player was lucky he wasn't in the room at the time because he would have Dougie would have been on an assault charge I'm pretty sure about that he was so angry that he'd been let down by these people because he is so honest and so hard working and these players would say it themselves Naveed absolutely loved Dougie so the fact that he's well, he's innocent till proven guilty, but if the charges are proven, that he's let Dougie down so badly, I can't, don't really know how to describe it, but you'd see Dougie working in, obviously the summers over here are absolutely baking, and he'd be working outside with the players if they to do, obviously, high-catching drills. They have brilliant indoor facilities here in Dubai, but to do high-catching drills, they'd go outside in like 45-degree hotter than that probably even, 45 degree heat and one half of the group would do an hour's catching and then the other half of the group would come out and do an hour's catching as well and Dougie would be out there for the whole of those two hours working really hard to try and improve these guys so he felt as far as I can tell he he felt um, completely let down by what had happened and I still think he could have kept his job actually it's just the fact that Robin Singh became available and was seen by the current regime a sort of um, a bit of a showpiece sort of signing because it's well regarded in the Indian community having played 100 odd one day internationals for India so I think that they just saw an opportunity to get Robin in and it wasn't necessarily the fact that they didn't get through to the World Cup didn't necessarily count too much against Dougie in that it, that wasn't the reason he was sacked I don't think 
Yeah, I still think, though, with everything that he had to go through, they probably qualify for the World Cup if that hadn't have happened. Yeah. And if that's the case, it would have been much harder to get rid of him, would be my guess. But uh, Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I can certainly understand that the Robin Singh, he, he, a lot of T20 experience as well, but just felt that Dougie Brown was bleeding for the UAE cricket and uh, yeah. was with them at their lowest point, and then they flicked him. And take us through Mohammed Naveed. You said he had a great story. What's his backstory? Oh, Naveed's got an amazing story. It's heartbreaking, really, what's what's happening. And if he does get found guilty, then, well, it's, it's sad, really. So he came over from Pakistan to visit mates of his in... So he came over on a tourist visa to visit mates of his in Khan, miles away from anywhere, basically. It's like two hours drive from uh, Sharjah Cricket Stadium and then it's probably two and a half hours from Dubai on the coast but way over it's a, it's a really lovely part of UAE but quite a quiet part of UAE when he was there he just sort of knocked about playing street cricket with his mates and his mates said to him Naveed look you're, you're like he'd never played any formal cricket in Pakistan before he came and his mates just said to him look Naveed you're pretty good at this perhaps you should go to um, Charger Cricket Stadium and see if you can impress the coaches there so he went along on a public bus and arrived up at, at Sharjah and was seen by Akib Javed, who was then the coach. And Akib, he just bowled like five, ten balls in front of Akib, as like a net bowler from maybe an international team were there, I'm not quite sure. And um, Akib was like, right, that's it, you're joining us and you're staying with us. And he was part of the national team ever since. And he, he rose and rose and got better and better as a player, got within, I think he was number 10 equal or maybe number 11 in the world rankings for T20 bowlers. And the thing was, it was that he would always send me like screen grabs of the world rankings when he was going up the rankings. He'd say, Paul, do a story on me. Paul, do a story on me. And he always seemed to be so proud of what he was doing in the game. And so you would never have thought from the way he was. that. And, and he would always talk about the pride that he had with the respect he was getting from his friends and how happy it made him and how he loved being seen as this hero that you'd never believe that he was capable of the stuff he's accused of. And it's heartbreaking, really, what's happened. You've talked to him since. What's he been saying now? Funnily enough, the first time I knew that the ICC were going to an- announce it was, well, obviously, when an investigation happens, the players have their phones confiscated so that the anti-corruption unit can see what, what's been said if they've been speaking to potential corruptors, or match fixers, things like that. So he wasn't contactable for a while after I knew the investigation had started. And then just randomly on Twitter, Naveed liked just an arbitrary, I think it might have been a rugby story or something that I'd written that day. And I was like, oh, this is weird, right? This is this is going to break. I better get to work straight away working on this story. And then within, well, no time at all, basically, I'd managed to get hold of him and I was speaking to him and he was, I don't know, it was strange. Like he was... He said he'd made mistakes and basically admitted straight out that he'd obviously had this approach and that he hadn't reported it and this was his big mistake. But he was saying that he is sincere about his career and 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 he's never done any, he hasn't fixed any any aspects of games or anything like that. It felt like he well he he was I don't know if contrite's quite the right word, but he realised he'd made this mistake that had certainly sullied his reputation at that moment in time and sort of damaged his standing in the game. But I don't know whether he quite realised the severity of what was going on at that point in time. I don't know how many people follow UAE cricket or even some of the lower levels of T20, but when I was with the CPL with St Lucia, he was on our board as a player 
to potentially bring across a very good power play bowler. Yeah. You know, top quality player, sort of one of those very dependable T20 bowlers. And there aren't that many, there are a lot of T20 bowlers with a lot of skills, but they sort of, their output varies. Whereas with him, you knew roughly what you were going to get. Over the next couple of years, he could have really built that into a, a very good, what I would call maybe a second tier career, maybe occasionally popping up in a PSL or a CPL, but mostly traveling around doing the Afghan League, the European League and uh, you know Canada and those sorts of things. He was on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, I'd have thought it'd be similar to, obviously, Ali Khan from USA's carved out quite a niche for himself. A similar, it sounds like a similar sort of player to the one you're describing. I definitely think Naveed, with a bit of exposure, would certainly have been on a lot of people's shopping lists in franchise leagues because just because of what you've described, you could rely on him for well, you knew exactly what you are going to get. And if I mean, you'd know far better than me about these sort of things, but whenever you see specific statistics flashed up on who the best seam bowlers are in international T20 cricket for the power play overs. He would often mm. crop up in those. And that's within pretty small window of opportunity that he's got. And even when he did get the chance to play against bigger international teams, like at the Asia Cup in Bangladesh that the UAE played in last time it was played in the T20 format, he was excellent in that and he really caught the eye. So, yeah, I think you're definitely right. He, he would have been definitely amongst that sort of category of player in the next few years, certainly. So sad that it's gone a different direction. But let's talk about what's next. I mean, you talked a little bit before about the talent there. What do you see for UAE cricket over the next two or three years? Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because after all this happened, the selection panel was uh, dissolved as well. So basically, Dougie was picking the side. (laughs) I missed that one. (laughs) Yeah, Dougie was picking the side. That's from sort of... Uh, the next series that they had, the Cricket World Cup League 2, they played against Scotland and the United States and then went to Oman and played Oman and Namibia. And Dougie was basically picking the side with, even though he wouldn't have seen a huge amount of domestic cricket, he was basically picking the side with the assistance of a few senior players, the captain, Ahmed Raza, probably Rohan Mustafa as well. So whether that proceeds for much longer, I, I don't know. But just based on the two series that they've had, hopefully they can stick with a few good young players. Basically, before that happened with the whole corruption issue, the UAE must have had one of the oldest national teams in world cricket, I'd have thought. They'd have been an average age. Yeah. Average age, maybe 32, 33, something like that. Must have been. And, and that's Pakistani years as well. <laughs> so, like, some of those guys would have been, like, a couple of years older as well. So, like, that's not the normal Pakistani cricket joke. That's just a realistic thing. So, no, I, t- I reckon totally. that team was probably 34-ish would have been the yeah, average yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, t- you're totally right. And um, now that since that happened and the players they found, and at, at Dougie sort of, insistence or uh, recommendation they've gone and they've got young players that are UAE qualified even from abroad which never happened before never happened until that point they'd always been locally based players that had been selected but they went and got this guy talented student from Perth Darius De Silva and Jonathan Figgy who is grew up here played schools cricket here and scored millions of runs went to school in England Winchester school and broke long-standing school records there, scored stacks of runs while sitting in his A-levels, has gone to Leeds University in England. They got him back. And I just hope that they'll stick with that because those guys, Figgy in particular, is outstanding, a real talent. And if they stick with those young guys, a couple of other young guys who are based here as well, they, uh, they really do look promising. It's not just, oh, these are the only players that are left to us. We'll have to chuck them in, even though they're young. They're there because they're really talented players. 
So if they can stick with them, then there definitely is going to be a promising couple of years, you'd think, for UAE, dependent on what sort of tournaments they've got to aim for. You've been listening to Red Inca, which is me, Jared Kimber, and also produced and engineered, and he does some other things that I don't really understand, Nick McCorriston as well. Thank you very much for listening. Please leave reviews everywhere. Tell friends, family, mum might want to know about it, for instance. Rate on iTunes. These sorts of things don't take you a lot of time, but actually help us quite a lot. There's also a Patreon, so give us any money that you have on Patreon. Hopefully in the future we'll get some, you know, glasses manufacturer or a bed company to sponsor us. But in the meantime, if you could help us out on Patreon so that I can help feed Nick. Nick needs food, everyone. I'd like food too, my, my, my children sometimes as well. So please rate, share, talk about the show. If there's any issues or uh, guests that you would like on, tell me and I will ignore you. Thank you very much for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.